Gilman Church of Christ, it's great to see you on a Sunday morning, and uh, thank you for your presence here today. A couple, uh, one announcement, I know um, we have been handing out the last two Sundays an extra pamphlet um, that is in your bulletin. For most people, I think uh, we, we may not have given to everybody, we have some in the back if you need some. Uh, but it allows you to take some notes if you need, if you'd like to. Uh, but I'd like to talk about what's happened on April 21st on Transform Dallas. Uh, we're trying to get a group of uh, people together to serve at the Austin Street Homeless Shelter on Saturday. I think it's going to be from around 11 to 3. And uh, I might send an email. I'll be looking for an email on the Monday uh, email that Vicky sends out. And we will put a link to a sign-up sheet online, and that way we can have an idea who can come. This is a great opportunity for us to get involved in the city and for us to invest in the good of Dallas. And uh, so just keep your eyes on that and and, uh, be looking for that email when it comes. And it would be an honor to serve alongside you uh, here in Dallas. But right now, I am so excited just because uh, we get to continue this sermon series that we've been exploring on the book of Genesis. Last week, we looked at the transcendence of God. And does anybody remember what that word means, transcendence? Well, it's the, the holiness, the royal nature, the awesomeness, the majesty of God. He is the king and we are his subjects. And we looked in Genesis 1 of just time and time again how it speaks of the majesty of who God is, the creator of the world, who spoke life into existence with ease, and who was over the the sun and the moon, and uh, who made it seem so easy. And God declared that it was very good, and it was poetic, and there was structure, and it was almost like this beautiful song that was written to glorify the creator of the world. And today, we get to Genesis chapter 2, starting in in verse 4. And it's interesting that the story takes a different tone. The style shifts. It it goes, the, the language shifts. And even the way that God is addressed changes from Genesis 1 to now, Genesis 2, the way that God is talked about is different. It's referred to differently. In fact, one commentator, Bill Arnold... He writes about this shift in Genesis 1 to Genesis 2. Gone are the tight symmetry and the recurring formulas. Gone, too, is the elevated prose style with its almost poetic quality. Instead, we find a narrative style that is down-to-earth, almost folksy. So it's really crazy. You have Genesis 1 in the creation account... It's this beautiful, poetic, transcendent tone of God. And all of a sudden, the story shifts in Genesis 2, and it becomes almost down-to-earth, organic, folksy. And many people who study this, and scholars who are a lot smarter than me, they've wondered whether it's so different and so, so there's such a contrast. They've even wondered if it's the same person that wrote Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Just a question that they ask, is it the same person? I mean, we know tradition tells us 
that Moses was the one who wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Tradition for thousands of years have told us that Genesis, that Moses is the one behind these books. But those of us who have read, we've also known that he couldn't have written all of it. Because there is that part in, in Deuteronomy 24 where it says that Moses died and that he was buried where no one knew, knew where he was buried. That would be hard to write about yourself. Um, so, you know, he, he couldn't have written that, you know. Also, there's that part in Numbers 12.3 where it says that now Moses was the most humble man to ever walk the face of the earth, more humble than any other. Now, it would be hard for him to have written that too. For it to be true. Oh yeah, I'm the most humble man to ever walk the face of the earth. Well, are you really humble if you say that you are? So there had to be some people that were working with the text. Maybe it was a, a, another scholar, a, a scribe, or uh, he couldn't have written all of it. And so when we have this Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we begin to ask, well, is this two different people writing the story? Or is it the same person? Is it Moses in different parts of his life? Is, did, you know, one before a hamburger and one when the hamburger was not sitting well in his stomach. I mean, there's this, this contrast that's in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that makes you wonder who, who really wrote this and, and, and what was behind the text. And this is something that really, the answer is that nobody knows. And so this is something that you can talk about around the dinner table or, or on lunch, or your theory. But there is this strike contrast. And if you read it with this lens, you can see in Genesis 1, it speaks of the transcendence of God, but then in Genesis 2, things shift, and it's different. And the word that I was trying to think of that would really articulate what is the tone of Genesis 2 would be the word imminent. Can you say imminent? Now, imminent is spelled I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T, and the definition of imminent is remaining within, indwelling Inherent. In the theological world, imminent, speaking of God, means of a God who is indwelling in the universe, time, present, a God that is present, a God that is among the people. And throughout this text, this chapter, we can see that the imminence of God is just oozing through the text. For example, the name that is used for God. We talked about in Genesis 1, the, the term that was used to describe the creator was Elohim. All of a sudden, in Genesis 2, 4, when God is addressed, his name changes. It's, 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 his name is expounded. He's no longer just Elohim. But in Genesis 2, 4, it says that this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heaven. Do you, do you see the difference there? In Genesis 1, it refers to the creator as God. But all of a sudden, starting in Genesis 2, 4, the rest of 2, God is referred to not just as God, but the Lord God. In the Hebrew, this word Lord is Yahweh. Yahweh God. He's not just God in Genesis chapter 2. He's, he's Yahweh God. It's not some distant creator where no one knows who this could be. But this God is given a name. 
It's still a, a, a very obscure name, but even still, there's a personal element to this. It's, this is the creator God who is Yahweh God. And, and in Scripture, when this word Yahweh is used time and time again, it's always in relation to relationships with human beings and also emphasizing the qualities of loving kindness and mercy within Scripture. You know, also the way that God creates in Genesis chapter 2 is just really consistent with this imminent view. I mean, look how God creates in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So two things right here. The first is how does God create man? He takes the dust on the ground. He takes it in his hand. And he begins to form Adam from this text. The word form in Hebrew is yasar. And this is the same term used to talk about a potter who is molding clay. And it's an amazing picture of this creator God who takes the dust and he begins to form it in his hand like a potter does the clay. And with love and with kindness and with intentionality, he begins to form Adam. This is different from this transcendent view of God in Genesis 1 where he speaks it to existence. It gives a greater detail in Genesis 2 of how he takes this dust and just like a potter molds his clay with love and intentionality. He begins to form humanity. The second thing that stands out in Genesis 2, 7 is this breath into the nostrils that God, in order to breathe life into humans, to breathe life into Adam, he goes close and he breathes life into the nostrils of Adam. The same guy, Bill Arnold, he speaks about this, he writes about this in his book. He says, the act of breathing life into the clay creature has the face-to-face -face intimacy of a kiss and portrays the personal intimacy of relationship between humans and God. A God who creates humanity through personal touch and the intimacy of a kiss is a God of eminence. Unbelievable picture of who God is and how he created Adam and Eve. He created them from taking, creating Adam, taking the dust, molding it like a potter, and getting close and just like a kiss breathes life into this new human being. It's an incredible picture of the imminence, the closeness, the organic nature, the involvement of God. We also see God's imminence in his interaction with humanity. Let's read Genesis 2, 19, 19 through 21 together. So, out of the ground the Lord formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. Two things again about this incredible text. Number one is that Adam 
in Genesis 2 is working side by side with the Creator. There's a partnership that's there. There's an interaction that God is using Adam not only to name creation. You know, who was it that named in Genesis 1? Who did the naming? God did the naming in Genesis 1. He was naming everything. The sun, but in Genesis 2, God invites humanity and humanity to participate in this amazing thing. And Adam begins to name what is going on. There's a partnership. There is a relationship. And then also, this part where God, he looks at Adam and he sees there's no suitable partner. He says in, in 18 and 19 in chapter 2 that it is not good that the man should be alone and I will make him a helper as his partner. It seems as though in Genesis 2 that God actually cares about humanity. He cares about the well-being. He, there's, there's a feeling that's there and, and he is looking out for this new creation. There is no suitable helper and he's moved to the point where he creates woman based upon this amazing interaction between him and Adam. It's this is an incredible story of imminence. You can see this closeness, this presence throughout chapter 2. And imminence, the name that Yahweh was used. Imminence at the way that God created in Genesis chapter 2. And also you can see imminence in the way that human, humanity interacts with God. So you have these two pictures in Genesis. Genesis 1, this transcendent, royal, majesty view of God who is holy, holy, and holy, and set apart. And then in Genesis 2, you have this picture of God that is close to humanity, organic in nature, involved in inviting humanity to join with him in what he is doing here on the earth. So we have this imminence of God, we have the transcendence of God. Now church, I need your help to tell me which one is right. What's the correct answer? Who is God? Is God that, that this transcendent, imminent, this, this transcendent God who is king and creator and who is worthy of our praise? And in, in, this, in the very thought of him, we see we have fear and respect. Or is God more of the relational God that cares about humanity and invites us to join with him? Which one is right? Yeah, the answer is yes. This is the beautiful thing about Scripture, is that the answer is yes. God is so amazing. And both of these views have scriptural grounds, that God is both transcendent and God is imminent. The answer is yes. This is, and this is why we can't fully understand who he is, because God can be both. The creator in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is described as both. Now, if you think about it, we all fall on a scale, right? We have some of us who lean more towards the transcendent view of God. We have some of us who may lean more towards an imminent view of God. Some churches may lean more towards a transcendent view of God. Some churches may lean more towards an imminent view of God. There's, there's that scale and many times there's problems and, and there's disagreements and fights over which one is right. You know, my, my mom's grandmother, sorry, my, my father's grandmother, he tells a story of how when he would stay with her and it was time to go to Sunday services, that when he was a young kid, he would have to go to church wearing a suit and a tie. 
uh, to church. And when he asked his grandmother about why that was, his grandmother wisely said, well, if you were going to have lunch with the president of the United States, you want to look your best, wouldn't you? Well, our God is far more important than the president of the United States. You know, that's a very transcendent view of God, isn't it? And if we can learn anything from Genesis 1, we can learn that that is biblical. And that is true, and that's value. And that God is honorable. But then we have, you know, my, my friends in college who they'll wear whatever they want to church. You know, flip-flops, shorts. Because they have a very imminent view of God where God meets them where they are. And that God is concerned about where they are on their journey. And there's a participation there. And then God is, is, is there beside them as they walk through life. And that also has biblical grounds. In Genesis 2, we see that God is this organic, the dust forms. And we have the situation where both stand on biblical grounds and both are right. And I think that if there's time and time again where we see this transcendence and this imminence, this transcendence and this imminence. And we have this chance, based on the first two chapters of Genesis, to see that God is both. That God is both transcendent. He is worthy of our praise. And we need to shudder and, and, and just be amazed at his power and glory. But at the same time, God is there present walking beside us and molding us like a potter would mold his clay with intimacy and with relationship. God is both transcendent and imminent. It's like this word, Yahweh. You know, Yahweh is what was used in Genesis 2 to address God. And do you guys know about this term, Yahweh? Yahweh is the word that the Hebrew tradition would address the Lord God. And if you are from the Jewish heritage, this is a word that you don't even say. It's a word that you wouldn't even utter because it is so respectful. It speaks of God. And it's almost like in Harry Potter, he who must not be named. <laughs> you know, there's so much fear and respect attached to this that in some ways, in the Hebrew tradition, that just to utter the word Yahweh would not do Yahweh justice. And so they prefer not to even say the word, and they don't utter this four-letter word. They don't even say it. They don't even say it out of respect. But here's the interesting thing about this word, and it illustrates the fact that God is both transcendent and imminent, is that these four consonants in the word Yahweh are the only consonants that you can't say with closing your mouth. Like you, you can't say this in Hebrew at the same time closing your mouth. And so you end up every day when you speak this word, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. Do you track what I'm saying here? Do you see the genius of this? Is that it is a word 
that the Hebrew people have so much respect for because of who it talks about that they don't even utter it. But at the same time, when we breathe, not by, by, with any intentionality, we end up saying that very word every time we breathe. Breath is what we have been doing since the very beginning of our life. That's the first thing we did when we were born. Breathe. And we will live this life, and it is the last thing that we will do. And since we've been born, it's really the only thing we've been doing consistently. We take these breaths in and out. We've exhaled and we've inhaled. And then there will be that moment that comes when we take that last inhalation. And in between, there is something in our life that is always happening. And if you can see here just this, this amazing picture that God, he is so powerful. He is so worthy that, that he is so transcendent. We can't fully grasp, but at the same time, he is accessible. And he is free as the very air that we breathe. God is both transcendent and he is imminent. And we have a chance right now to sing again about this amazing God. How great is our God. And we as Christians, because of this, because of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and because this picture of God as being both this king and this potter who together help us be formed and live this life, we can sing this song, How Great Is Our God, with vigor from the depths of our heart because it is true that God is great. I'd like to invite you now to stand as we sing this song, How Great Is Our God. And if you need prayers, I invite you to come forward. If you need prayers, the elders on the side. And if you want to be baptized in to the name of this God, please, uh, you're invited to do so as well. Let's come while we stand and sing. The